This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. everyone. It is good to see all of you today. I just want to remind you uh, that um, Siri is trying to talk to me. I'm so sorry. Awkward. Uh, Anyways, I want to remind you that Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rhonda are still on their vacation. They're almost at the tail end of it, actually, which is really exciting because that means they're almost home, which I love. Uh, Next Sunday, I think, is their last Sunday, if I remember correctly. So uh, it's one of the last Sundays we'll have to be without them, which is very exciting because it also signifies like... Uh, like fall is coming when they come back. Like we hit the ground running when they come back. So like there's a lot of exciting things that are happening um, at our church. So I just want to remind you, like be here for them. Pay attention to video announcements. The nursery's coming back. Uh, we have a fall barbecue worship night, trunk or treat in October. There's just a lot that's going to be happening in life for our church. We want you to lean in and be a part of community. And all of that starts rolling out as Pastor Kevin and Rhonda come back from vacation. Um, and we're super excited for them to come back. And with that being said, we are stepping into week seven of our eight-week series titled Seven, and we brought all this significance um, to the number seven in our lives, throughout history, in the Bible. And specifically, we've been looking at John's record of the seven I am statements that Jesus has made. And I love this because Jesus is trying to tell us in a very graspable and tangible way who he really is. And so the goal of this series was to study these statements so that we could in turn learn who he is and have a better understanding of who he is. And so even though this is week seven, we're going to be taking a look um, at the second I am statement. And I realized something this week um, is that this is week seven, and I just so happen to be speaking on week seven. And so of course, like I can't not point out the fact that uh, seven is significant. So like, this is going to be a good day. Like, I just feel like there's like extra Holy Spirit juice or something. Like the anointing of God is going to be in the room. Like, I don't know if that's like blasphemous or something, but like, I am just declaring it in the name of Jesus. Like, I'm hoping it's not significant because I do something like embarrassing. Like, I just like, I don't like that, like get behind these Satan. Like that is how I feel in this moment. Um, but I just want to point out that it's week seven, like seven is significant. So like, it is going to be a good day. But to sum up this series in this incredible thesis, statement that my husband um, so eloquently put together. Your view of who Jesus is can be wrong, but when you get it right, it will change your life. And this is such an incredible, powerful statement because it's really true. And it's not like it's going to change your life in a negative way. It's going to change your life in an incredible, powerful way. And that's because as you get to know who Jesus is, it affects the way you you give. It affects the way you serve. It affects the way uh, you work on your job. It affects all the things that you start to do. It affects your character and how you make decisions. And it affects all of those things in a positive way. So your view of him uh, and, and who he is really does impact and trickle down all the way to how you live out your life and your walk with him. And so um, I came to this conclusion that I don't want to just know what my God can do for me. I want to know who my God is. And so today, John 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
And so this is a really powerful statement that Jesus is making. But in order to understand uh, what sets up the power of this statement, we really have to be willing to look at the context. So that's what we're going to do really quickly before we do anything else or move on. And so like I said earlier, chronologically, this is the second I am statement that Jesus is making. And the claims that he makes are really foundational uh, to our understanding of who he is. And at this point, Jesus has performed miracles. He's taught a lot of things. He's gathered his 12 disciples. And as a result of this, it's one, well, it's created quite a following, but two, the religious leaders in this time, they, they want to kill him. And so the setting of this text, John 7, is setting the stage of what is taking place, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. And in Jerusalem, this was a feast or a festival that lasted eight days straight. And the whole heartbeat of the festival was to remember how God provided for the Israelites as he uh, led them out of captivity, out of Egypt, and into the wilderness. And so they have all these incredible traditions that they would have throughout this Feast of Tabernacles. In the wilderness, they didn't have normal shelter or permanent shelter. They had temporary shelter. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, most of the Jewish people in the city, they would build these uh, wooden shelters on top of their homes or throughout the city. Uh, And for eight days straight, they would live in these shelters or booths, as they would call them. Um, and they had another tradition where they, that, and that was that every single morning, um, the priest, uh, they would grab, get up and they would go and they would grab, uh, they would go to the pool of Siloam and they would grab water from the pool and they would take it to the brazen altar in the temple and they would pour it out uh, on the west side of the altar. Now in this tradition or this custom that they were doing, it was to remind the people, and some of you might remember the story that when uh, God led the Israelites into the wilderness where Moses hits the rock and the water comes forth from the rock, they were pouring this water out to remember that God had provided water for them in one of their darkest moments. And so what's cool is you read John 7 and Jesus actually goes right to this place during the Feast of Tabernacles and he stands in this place and from this place he actually looks out and he says drink of me and you'll never thirst again and he was making these proclamations and he was trying to make it very clear to everyone uh, that I don't want you to misinterpret who I am I am the God that if you'll drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And I am the same God who provided water for you in the desert. And I am the same God that if you drink of me, you'll be satisfied forever. And so this setting, it's really beautiful. And they even have this, this next tradition that I'm talking about, that in the middle of the feast are these, these um, candelabras. And there's four of them, and they are massive. And these candles, they were stationed in what they called the Court of Women. And the Court of Women was in the center of the city. And they would come, and they would light these candles— And many historians and theologians actually will say that these candles would illuminate the entire city, that wherever you were in Jerusalem, you could see these candles lit. And the reason why these candles were lit, it was actually for the same thing. It was to remind the Israelite people uh, that God in the wilderness, he had led them by fire by night and a cloud by day. And so that fire was to remind them that God had provided guidance and lit the way for them. And I don't know about you, but like think about big holiday traditions in your home, like Christmas for some of you, if not most of you, like the day after Christmas feels are very real. Like presents have been opened, your trashes are full, like your pants don't fit quite right. Like it takes a while for us to recover from Christmas. It takes a while for us to get like the decorations from Christmas down. Like some of you keep Christmas lights on your house all year long. Like you know who you are and we're gonna pray for you later. Like that, that, that's an issue that we needed to probably like address later, like after this message. But and what you find out in John chapter eight is that you've come to the end of the festival. 
So I just want you to try to visualize and get this picture in your head with me is that all the trappings, all the decorations, they're still up from this incredible event where the city was packed with people. Like the city was so full of people and they were uh, remembering what God had done for them. Now in John chapter eight, here's what's beautiful. It's now the ninth day. And the Bible says that early in the morning at dawn, Jesus stood up and picture this with me. The lamps are still up, but the candles are out. And it's from that place that Jesus looks out at the sea of people and he declares something that is so provocative, so audacious. And he looks at them and he says, I am the light of the world. And what was he saying? He's saying that fire that led you, that cloud that led you, that light that you can see all over the city. Well, guess what? Look no further. That is me. I am better than the candle. I am better than the fire. I am better than the cloud because I am the light of the world. So I want you to get this setting because you see Jesus, he's a great preacher and we know this. Like we're kind of all just faking it as preachers because he's the like real preacher. Like the Bible says he's the word made flesh. Like I preach the word, he is the word, amen. Like, so what I want you to see is that Jesus is taking time to be very intentional and specific. Like Pool of Siloam, cool tradition. Let me just tell you, if you've got me, you don't even need to think about the rock anymore. I am the rock. Candelabras, cool. Dance around them. Get excited. But look at me. I am the light. I will illuminate your path. I will pierce through the darkness of the world. I will lead you. I will guide you. Look at me. I am the light of the world. And so my title this morning is called At Dawn. And at dawn is the first appearance of light or the beginning of a phenomenon or a period of time. And so I felt like this title was very fitting to what we're going to talk about today. But the question that I want to ask right now in this moment is why is light so important? And so during my study, I came across a story that I want to share with you about the importance of light. And I'm going to read it, and I'm going to read it very quickly. Some of you are like, well, she's already talking so fast. Like, how can she get any faster? Like, it's possible. But... (laughs) Like, I'll slow it down for this story specifically, maybe, because I want you to be able to catch this with me. Uh, But just to lean in, get ready, we're going to read this story, and you're going to see why light is important, okay? So one of the greatest legal battles once fought over a terrible automobile accident that involved a train at Blue Mountain. The accident happened on a dark, rainy night as a fast-moving car came down the mountain road around a sharp curve and ran headfirst into the train. Several people were killed in the accident. In the fiery contested court battle, the railroad flagman told precisely how he got off the train before it reached the railroad crossing and stood in the highway swinging his lantern back and forth to signal any approaching vehicle. This was his customary behavior whenever the train approached this this notoriously bad intersection. On this particular night, he had done precisely as he had been instructed and as he had on many previous occasions. Under determined cross-examination, he consistently answered each question as to his procedures on that particular night. Yes, he got off the train ahead of the crossing. Yes, he stood in the highway. Yes, he swung his lantern back and forth in a cross manner. He even jumped out of the way of the speeding automobile before it hit the train. The jury deliberated and the railroad won because of the testimony of this flagman. About a year later, the flagman, who had now retired from the railroad, was fishing on one of the beautiful lakes. And the attorney who had represented the family saw him and asked how the fishing was. And then the attorney said, you were a witness in a railroad accident last year. You know, that was the best fought trial I've ever had. I should have won that case. You were the best witness I have ever cross-examined. You were great. I lost that case because of your splendid performance. You were a determined and perfect witness. 
The humble flagman squirmed a little and said, oh man, I was scared that day. I have never been so frightened in my life. The lawyer replied, no one would have ever known it. You were great the way you handled me. Oh, I was scared, the man said. I was so scared you were going to ask that question. What question, inquired the attorney. You know, the man replied, I was scared you were going to ask, did you have your lantern lit that night? So you see, it's easy to take light for granted. And after all, it surrounds us all the time. In nature, uh, we delight in the first ray of sunrise, the midday sun bleeding, uh, beating down on us, the glorious spectacle of the sunset, the bonfires that we sit around uh, when night falls, the twinkling stars, the benevolent moon. Artificial light is even more prevalent because every time we turn on our phones or our laptops, uh, we're bathed in that light. Offices and homes and shops, uh, malls, they glow with LEDs. Backlit advertising boards and digital uh, advertising screens, they actually compete for our attention. And when the sun sinks low below the horizons in just about every city, town, and village in the developed world, street lamps and storefronts and car lights, will they illuminate the darkest nights? But why is light such an important factor in our lives? Well, number one, light affects our rhythms. You see, Earth is a planet on which uh, there have always been periods of light and dark in our natural rhythms and are largely controlled by the sun. And over time, those rhythms have evolved to not only love light, but to need light. And we see best in the light, and we have limited sight in the darkness. And uh, daily exposure to light keeps us healthy. And since time began, light has allowed us to live productive lives, has kept the darkness away, and has met very practical needs. And number two, light shapes our mood. As the seasons change, we have access to more or less natural light, specifically uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, and too little light will leave some of us depressed, suffering from seasonal affective disorder. Most people prefer to feel buoyant and not depressed, and getting enough light, even artificial light, means that it's possible to keep sad and depressed moods at bay. And number three, light creates atmosphere. Lighting dictates what a space feels like. Bright white lights glaring off walls creates a clinical atmosphere. Warm white lights make any space feel a little more welcoming. Colorful lights that twinkle on and off make a space more festive. Uh, With relatively little effort, we can transform any space and convey a very specific feeling using light. And we use this in our offices and our homes and our leisure spaces every day. And if any of you know uh, my husband over here, you would know that he calls this a vibes. Yeah, and Brittany just repeated it for us. Uh, the, The atmosphere and the vibes are very important to him. So if you've been in our offices, if you've been in our home, you know this, and all of this is done uh, with lights. Tyler Boston in the back actually uh, contributed to the installing of said vibes and atmosphere atmosphere in our home when he came and installed these Edison bulb uh, light fixtures in our home when we moved in in the first week. And uh, anyways, he's very uh, into the vibes of the atmosphere, and he does all of that with the lights. I'm very practical. I'm like, light switch on, light switch off. Like, light meets my need, my practical need. Like, I need light on to do things. I need them off to, like, go to sleep. And he's like, no, like, he comes in behind me. And, like, all the switches in our house, they have, like, dimmer switches now. Like, they all got changed when we moved in um, over time because he needs to be able to set the vibes or the atmosphere. And, like, I am making fun of him for it, but I actually really like it because I would never take the time to do it. So I love that I'm married to someone who takes time to create atmosphere around me because I'm not like that. But I've become accustomed to it that I can't just flip on a light switch and walk away. Like, I know he's going to come in behind me and say, like, why'd you turn that on like that? Like, it's got to be dimble or it's got to be, like, there's got to be a light 
on in the corner. Like there always has to be this fiber atmosphere. And I'm going to tell you a quick story right now and not derail myself in this moment because I just think it's funny. But like in the kitchen, you'd think lights need to be on because you're using like really sharp utensils like knives to cut things, right? So in the kitchen, I turn on the light that he has now installed a dimmable uh, switch on and uh, I'll be chopping vegetables where he, and he does not need to be in the kitchen. Like I'm cooking, cooking. And he'll come in and he'll dim my light switch while I'm chopping my vegetables with the sharp knife. And uh, I'll just kind of give him that mom look like, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, my knife will kind of slowly like, like move away from the vegetables. Like, what are you doing with my light switch right now? Anyways, he's learned to like, now he just does it as a joke. Like he just comes in, dims them, starts to walk away. And like, I'm like, what are you doing? And he'll like come back and fix it. But like atmosphere, lights, they're very important and they can be controlled by light is all I'm trying to say. But now you know that it's very important to him. It's not important to me. But number four, light affects our emotions clearly because... You know, I get angry when apparently when he messes with the lights. But lights affect, light affects our emotions. Bright light it intensifies our emotions, regardless of whether they're negative or positive. Low light keeps our emotions steady, which means that people tend to make better decisions in lower light and find it easier to agree um, and compromise when negotiating. Anything that can alter our emotions and control our behavior is actually quite important to understand. And number five, light makes our modern life possible. Before artificial light, our productivity was limited by the number of daylight hours. And fire helped to extend our days as the gaslight. And now lighting powered by electricity uh, gives us the ability to stay awake longer, come up with new ideas, be innovative, and quite literally change the world at record speed. And so you see, we have a physical dependence on light. And without light, there is no life. There is no vision. Uh, there's no happiness or joy because light reveals what's hidden. Uh, it helps us know where we are. It helps steer us away from danger. And it shows us what's ahead. And do you remember, uh, I think it was week two, Pastor Trenton talked about bios versus zoe uh, needs. And he was doing it in reference to the bread of life, uh, that Jesus is the bread of life. And in the Greek language, there are multiple words for life. Bios is physical or material life. It's where we get our English word for biology, which is the study of life. And zoe uh, is fullness or vitality of life. And it transcends the physical. It is spiritual and eternal. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he used zoe. He's not saying, I am the light of the world, bios but he's saying, I am the light of the world, Zoe, which is our heart. So continually, these people were coming to him with their bios need, and he was saying, I can give you a Zoe solution. And so in other words, he was saying, the reason I came was not to satisfy your physical need, which he, he can and does do, but to satisfy something of a greater need, your heart need. And so like our dependence on light, we are dependent on God. And so this is why Jesus said what he said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. So when Jesus said this, I believe that he was saying three very important things. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, number one, he's saying, I have come to transform you. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but as a kid, and maybe some of you were like, no, this happened last night. But as a kid, I remember like waking up in the middle of the night and like, cause I heard something and I'm like, there's a murderer in the corner and it's cause it's dark, right? And I turn on the lights and immediately that image that was a murderer is transformed and it's actually just like a pillow. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like light transformed the image that was in darkness. Like we do this all the time. And someone's like, Brittany's like, oh, I did that last night. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But you know, it's like this happens to us because light transforms images that are in dark. We need the light to transform us. So in Hebrew culture at the time, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world would have been a very big statement because for Hebrew people, the idea of light and darkness was a very vivid metaphor because light often representing God, darkness representing evil or the enemy 
uh, it was an analogy that they would have been very accustomed to. In fact, just for today's talk, I think it's important that when you think about light, we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the first book of Genesis. And so Genesis chapter one, many of you will know the story and be very familiar with these first words, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what was the state of the world? Well, the state of the world was, uh, in that moment, was formless. It's void and it's dark. And the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And then look at what it says. Genesis 1 verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we get the condition of the world in Genesis. And we get this setting in John. Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus shows up at the scene of the pool. Drink of me. Jesus shows up at the candelabras. uh, And... He says, hey, those things that have gone out, I don't ever go out. I am the light of the world. And everyone's like, the light of the world? What do you mean? Well, look at it. The condition of the world before light showed up was formless. It was void and it was dark. And when light stepped in, all of a sudden, uh, that which was formless began to have structure and that which was void began to be filled up and life was brought to it. And that which was dark, all of a sudden, light stepped in and put darkness on its heels. And how many of you know that this this wasn't just the condition of the world, but this was the condition of our lives without Jesus? Like, what a thought, right? That without Jesus, we're actually formless. And so I don't know if you ever thought much about uh, life or the physical body, but I just want us to use the physical body for a moment. And so how many of you know we all start, start kind of in like a formless state? We all begin as cells, right? And those cells come together and we begin to form and we begin to grow. We're all being formed. So repeat after me, I... Am being formed. Good. One more time. I am being formed. Good. Good. Now this journey that all of us are on, that when you meet Jesus, he begins to form you. Now here's what I know about everybody, including myself, is that most of us, we want to be further along in life than we already are. Because think about it. Have you ever found yourself saying, ah, I'm good right here, but... Like, I'm good with the cell phone I have. I have. It's totally good. But, you know, that new iPhone releases next month. I actually think it's September, so it probably releases this month because that's, like, Apple's thing. But you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm good with the paycheck that I have. I make tons of money. I'm good. But it would be nice to have more so I could do this. Or I'm good with the job I have. I love my job. But I wish I had that job. Or I am so blessed with the house I have. It has all these things that I've always wanted. It checks off all the things on my list. But you know that they have this, and I actually kind of want that. Like we always find ourselves wanting more and the idea of more. And the truth is, of the matter is that uh, you're, you're being formed. And at times we have to be willing to give ourselves a break and recognize that God is forming you. And listen to me, without Jesus, you're actually unformed. And if you think about the physical body for a moment, I love this analogy because I think it helps me and I think it's going to help you. Some of you in this place are like, well, I don't know if I'm even worth it to God. And I'm gonna be like, are you crazy? Like you're worth Jesus to God. Like you want to know your value? Like Jesus gave his life for you. And so some of you are going to be like, ah, Allie, I'm just not really good at anything. And I kind of just feel like I'm wandering. And I've had multiple conversations with people who I think are absolutely incredible. And I hear them say, God's doing something. And I'm just looking for my purpose. And I feel kind of just confused in this time of life. And I think many times people, we get ourselves uh, to this place where we kind of just feel like we're out of sorts and we feel like we're not really doing what we're called to do um, and we're, not, we're all in our mind and we're all in our head. And I just want to remind you, you're being formed and you've come a long way. 
And so uh, you might say to me, "Uh, Allie, well, no, I didn't do good in school, or I didn't even go to school, or I wasn't a good athlete, or Allie, I'm just struggling on my job, or I'm failing as a parent, and you don't even know me. And I'm going to say, no, I know you. You're a winner. And you're going to be like, no, I've never won anything. Well, you've won something, because today you sit here. And uh, and do you remember how your story began? Because it actually began in a very small seed-like format. You remember this day? Because it was a big day for you. This was your day. Um, because you were conceived, you were chosen, you won. And so you come in here today saying, oh, I'm not where I want to be. Well, remember where you started. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. All the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them even came to be. You're a winner, and if you're in Jesus, he's forming you. And so I can't remember crawling, but I got a feeling that when I was crawling, I probably wanted to walk. And uh, when I learned to walk, I probably wanted to run. That was probably the only period in my life where I've ever wanted to actually run. Um, But, you know, uh, for another time. You know, the earth, when it was dark, uh, it started out in a formless state. But when God said, let there be light, light started to bring in form and structure to a formless place and the earth was transformed by the light. And Jesus, as he stands up in front of people, says, I am the light of the world. And what he was saying is that I have come to transform you, you who are unformed in me, I bring structure. In me, I begin to develop you. You begin to grow, trust in me, it's a process. But if you follow me, I'll take you to the finish line. So you see, light transforms darkness, and since Jesus is light, he transforms us, and he makes us into what we thought we could never be. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he is saying, I have come to transform you, but he was also saying, I have come to pierce through your darkness. And so going back to the condition of the world in Genesis prior to light, uh, you had a world that was formless before Jesus came to transform it, but you also had a world that was void, or in other words, it was empty. And so maybe you're in a position of success or you know someone who has had success or you yourself desire success, but we live in a culture that is seduced by success and the idea of more, the bigger paycheck, the corner office, the right spouse, the perfect family, and that when we finally get there, when we reach what we think is success, we will be content, and yet we're still, we still always find ourselves left wanting more. Because the reality is that without light, you'll actually always be in void. Without light, you'll always be empty. And many of us, we can actually go back to the time before we met Jesus, and we would say that it was like no matter what we did, there was always this lack of contentment. There was this void. Uh, There was this hole, and there was something that I was always trying to fill it with. And you see, what light does is it pierces through darkness, and darkness doesn't have the power to actually overpower light. Like a single light can immediately transform the darkness that surrounds us. And to illustrate this today, Michael, if I can go ahead and get that blackout, a single light uh, can immediately transform the darkness that surrounds us because you see, no matter how dark this room were to get, this light would only get brighter. And so if you're in the room and you have one of these, because I gave it to you earlier, will you go ahead and uh, put that on for me? You see light pierces through darkness and it makes a room brighter. And the darker it were to get in here, the lights would only shine brighter because light pierces through darkness. And so I love how powerful light can be. And it actually is a representation of you and me in this world because one light has a lot of power. 
And so we can go ahead and flip on the lights. And thank you so much to all of you who just did that so beautifully in that moment. But you know what's cool about the Bible is that John 7, the Feast of Tabernacles begins and we see Jesus go and he shows up and he begins to teach. And there's all sort of, sorts of cool things and stuff that happens. But then John 8 begins. And, you know, we didn't start at the beginning of John 8. We actually started at verse 12 of John 8. But at the beginning of John 8 is this amazing, beautiful story about a woman. And some of you might know it, but when I think about void and I think about darkness, I think about this woman in John chapter 8. And here's the story really quickly in a nutshell for you. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. And according to Jewish law, a woman caught in the act of adultery should be stoned to death. She's guilty as charged. And in the Bible, it says that the Pharisees, they caught this woman in the act and they bring her and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And what's really happening here is that these Pharisees, they're, they're, they're really just trying to catch Jesus in a double standard. They're trying to catch him in this moment. And they say, according to the law of Moses, this woman deserves to be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus, the light of the world, the one who came uh, to bring form to that which was formless, the one who came to, to fill that which was void, and the one who came to pierce through your darkness by bringing life uh, and light to darkness. In this woman's most dark, empty moment, the Bible says he says nothing at all. Uh, but he begins to write in the sand. And I don't know what he was writing, but many theologians believe that he actually uh, began to write down the sins of the men that were around him. Like, I think that's a pretty cool story. Like, I wish I could have been like a, like a fly on the wall. I mean, it was outside in the air. That's fine. I'll fly buzzing around the head of Jesus. Like, it's all right, you know? Like, and that, uh, like, like that'd be so cool because the Bible says he starts to write in the sand and as he looks up and he says, you who have never sinned, cast the first stone. Like, that's a mic drop moment. Like, I'd be there and I'd be like, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. Like, you go, bro. Like, you got this. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, Jesus is like hype man right now. Like, this story is so cool. And then the Bible says the older ones left first. Like, how many of you know, like, the longer you've been on earth, you're like, dang, I got some stuff, like, with me, right? Like, but those of us in our 20s were like, ah, oh, you did that? Like, not, I've never done that. Like, I got it all figured out. And the older ones are like, yeah, live a long time, Right? Like the Bible says, the older ones left first until there was no one there at all. And Jesus looked at the woman and he said, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you, but go now and sin no more. See the statement that Jesus was making, I am the light of the world. What he was saying is, was just like in the very beginning, the world was formless, void and dark. I am the God who doesn't just invade the world, but I invade your life. And in your darkest moment, in your most empty moment, I show up and I illuminate the dark night. I begin to fill the void. I pierce through your darkness and I set you on a path to walk in your purpose. Light is powerful and darkness cannot overcome light. And listen to me, those of you who are in darkness right now, God sees everything. Like there's no darkness in him. And it's so funny that we can kind of convince ourselves that God doesn't actually know what we're going through. Like we say, ah, God doesn't know. No, your husband doesn't know, but he knows. Or we say, Jesus couldn't possibly know. Your, your kids don't know, but he knows. Or we say, no, Jesus doesn't know. Your pastor doesn't know, but Jesus knows. So at least be willing to take off the mask. At least be willing to step into the light and say, God, if you already know everything about me, and if nothing is hidden from you, and if everything in you is light and life, then Lord, I expose myself that you might begin to transform me and that you might begin to pierce through my darkness. And so lastly today, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I have come to shine through you.
Because I am the light of the world is actually the only I am statement that Jesus takes and he flips and he projects it onto us. He doesn't say you're the bread. He doesn't say you are the door for the sheep. He doesn't say you're the vine. He doesn't say you're the resurrection, power, life, whatever. But this one, it's the one that he flips and he says, now, now that you've come into the light, go and be a light. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world, meaning God wants to use you, that once you've encountered the light, he wants you to go and be a light. That once you've been transformed, filled up, formed, once you recognize, wow, I'm on a journey and I'm growing and I want to run, but I've got to walk right now. I'm being formed. I'm being shaped. He's forming me. But man, my life has been lit up with the light of Jesus. Once Jesus has pierced through your darkness, there's no longer that emptiness or void. And you find yourself saying, I'm not living in hiding. I'm not living in darkness. Guess what? I have a purpose. And that purpose and reason is that no matter where I'm at, no matter what the job looks like, no matter what position I have, no matter where I fall on the chart of success, I have a purpose. And the purpose is that I'm called to be a light in the darkness. And I don't know if you're going to get the job you want. And I don't know if you're going to marry the person you want to marry. And I don't know if you're going to be the perfect parent. And I don't know if all of your dreams are going to come true. But I do know this, that once you've encountered the light, he invites you to go and be a light. And the thing about light is that you'll never be a light unless you know the source of the light. You see, when I was growing up, uh, how many of you remember those like glow-in-the-dark plastic stars? I think they came out in like the 90s. Yeah, Corey's like, yes, I remember. Like, I loved these things. Like, they, I thought they were the coolest thing ever when they came out. Like, I, like I remember the first time I got them, I hung them up all over my room with sticky tack. Like, I don't know if you remember sticky tack, but I also love sticky tack too. Like, I played with it like Play-Doh. I don't really know why either, but that's also a derailing moment. So, I hung them up all over my room. I remember the first time I got them, I turned the lights off. I was mesmerized by the glow that these stars left in my room. I was like, I'm living on the moon right now. Like, that is how I felt. And then all of a sudden, I had this dream that I was going to live on the moon forever because of these stars and that moment of being seven or however old I was. And I remember about 20 minutes or so went by and the stars, they started to not be as bright as they were when they first turned off the lights. So in all of my childlike wisdom and faith, I went and turned the lights on and turned them back off thinking that would make them brighter and it didn't work. So I did it again. Um, it didn't work. Like I, I just kind of kept doing it for a few minutes, like thinking like this would just work if uh, I just keep turning the lights on and off. And I actually just made them like not bright at all. Like they eventually just went out. And I remember uh, I just kind of like was frantic and panicking. And like all of my dreams of living on the moon were just like coming to a like, like life altering like stop and halt. And so I just yelled out for my grandpa because how many know grandpas fix the world and there are superheroes. So I yelled for my grandpa and he comes in all calm, cool and collected. And I'm like, my glow in the dark stars won't light up. And he's like, they probably just need to be charged. And I'm like, what? What do you mean they need to be charged? And so he goes and grabs this black light thing. Like why he even had this, don't know, couldn't tell you. Like it's probably in like grandparent 101 class, like to make sure you have everything possible that your grandkids could need. Cause like they always have everything you need. But like he goes and he grabs this black light and he holds them up to all the stars and, sa- and explains like you, you need to put light into them so that they can glow and like glow when the lights are out. And I'm thinking back on this moment in my life and realizing those stars are just reflecting the light that you put in them, right? Like that's who you and I are. The more time I spend with the light, the more I become the light, like the light. That the light is my source, the light is my energy. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I reflect 
Jesus. So when Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world, uh, he's saying, I have come so that my light can shine through you. So John 8, verse 12, at dawn, the candelabras are out. The sun is coming up. The sun is what keeps us alive on this place called planet Earth. It's what illuminates our darkness. And picture this with me, the magnitude of this moment, which is literal perfection, the sun rising behind the sun, and the sun steps up with the perfect setting and he looks at all the people and he says, I am, Ego Amy, I am the light of the world and I have come to transform you, to bring form to your formlessness. I am the light of the world and I have come to pierce through your darkness to bring uh, fullness to your emptiness. I am the light of the world and I have come to shine through you to bring light to your darkness so that you might be a light to the world. And how many of you know that this, that light gives way to sight? And until you let the light come in, you don't really know where it is that you're going. And I wrestle with how to close this message today. And I came to this place of I need to let you respond. Because Jesus has, has come and he said, and he's declared, I am the light of the world. And I've come to do these things. I've come so that you don't have to live in darkness. Whoever follows me will not be in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so I'm realizing that your response could be all over the place today. You could be in a place where you actually don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're wanting that. And that is great. I wanna celebrate that with you because that's incredible. And I wanna make sure that you have that opportunity to respond in that way. You could be in a place where you're saying, man, I'm realizing that I'm, I am being formed right now. God is here to transform me and he is doing a work in me. And that is awesome. I want you to be able to respond in that way too. And you could also be in a place where you are sitting in darkness and you feel void, and you feel empty, and you don't really know what to do. Well, I can tell you this, Jesus already knows, so you might as well just expose yourself to him. You might as well just recognize and acknowledge the fact that God already knows what you're going through, so you might as well talk to him about it. And you can rest in the fact that he's already got you. And just like the woman in chapter eight, go now and sin no more. He loves you and he's there for you and he's here to fill the void with his light so that you don't have to be in darkness anymore. But there, and, I, and I want you to be able to respond in that way too. But for those of you who are not in those places, this is the response that I really wanna focus on. And it's that we, us being a light in the world. For the last eight months, darkness has come and it's tried to knock out light in many ways. And while I think Jesus is, is standing, standing uh, victorious at all times. I don't think Jesus' light can ever uh, be overcome by darkness. I think the light being reflected in us um, has been knocked out a few times. I think anxiety and fear and depression and COVID and uh, the polarization in our culture over masks and vaccines and what's going on in the world has come in and uh, swung hard at each and every person in our community and in the community and the surrounding areas. And so that's the, that's the response I wanna focus on today because Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he came so that we might know him, so that we would know the source and have the source of the light in us so that we could reflect that light in the world. And so if we as believers aren't reflecting that light, how is the world going to get the light? And I know the last 18 months have been really hard. I know that you're hurting because I, like I have been too. And I get that. 
and everyone's gonna respond and hurt in different ways. And so the challenge that I wanna bring today is I want you to lean in to the source of the light because he came so that we don't have to be in darkness. And he came so that we would, we would be willing to step in and say, Jesus, you are the light of the world. You have come to fill the void in my life so that I can reflect your light out and that darkness will not overcome. And so today I'm going to take like, like 20 seconds of just silence, like the band obviously still playing, but just 20 seconds of silence to just sit here and let that resonate in your heart. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for a physical response today, not an emotional one. If you don't feel this in, in your life right now, if you don't feel this, uh, this conviction or this tension from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus, then don't, res- don't respond. Like that's between you and the Lord. That's not, that's not, you're not responding for me. You're not responding for anyone around you. You're responding for you and Jesus right now. So I do not want you to be emotional in this. Um, I, want you, I want you to feel the pull of the Holy Spirit right now between you and Jesus. Is I want a physical response. If you're ready to respond in about 20 seconds when I ask for it, I want you to stand up because you're willing to say, no, I know life is hard. I know there is darkness surrounding me, but I know that Jesus is the light of the world and I have him in me and he is my source. And I am willing to say no more, say, and I am going to be a light in this world. And that is the response I am looking for today because that is the response that I feel like Jesus has put on my heart to challenge our community with today. And so I'm going to stand here in silence and allow that to resonate with you. And when I ask for it, if you'll stand saying, I'm going to step out and be a light in the world, I would love for you to do that. But if that's not a response for you, then don't feel pressured to do that. So if you're here today and you're willing to reignite that flame and connect back to the source of the light in this moment, will you stand? Thank you. Light is powerful. Jesus is powerful and he sent his son to die for you and for me and for every single person on planet earth. And I love that each of you are willing to say, I want to be a light in this world. And so I just wanna pray for you in this moment. God, I thank you so much for your power, for your light. I thank you that you sent your son to be a light in the world so that he could transform us when we're formless, so that he could pierce through our darkness when we're void, so that he could shine through us so that we can be a light in the world to make your name known, God, to be a a city on a hill where your light shines. And God, I pray for each person in this room who has boldly stepped up and a physical response is boldly declared, I want to be a light for you. God, I pray that you would reignite that flame in them. I pray that they would find ways to tangibly um, plug into the source, which is you, God, and, and be filled with your light so that they would have opportunity to shine that light in their workplaces, in their homes with their families, God, in their communities. 
in our city, God. I pray that this would be a moment that alters the way they live their life. From this moment forward, God, I pray that this would be something that creates energy in our community as we move into the fall and into the rest of the year, and that it would be momentum building, God. I pray that we would use your light to move us forward, God. I pray that as you are the light of the world, there would be no darkness in the RLC community, but that we would be willing to say, no, you are the light of the world, God. We are going to be filled with your light. And God, I pray over each person in this room and those online, God, I pray uh, for each one of them as they go from this place, God, that you uh, would protect them, that you would guide them, that you would light their way and you would set them on a path for them to walk in their purpose so boldly and so strongly as they have responded to what you've put on their hearts today, Jesus. I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you to all of you for coming today. I love each and every single one of you. If you need prayer, our prayer team will be at the front for you. Um, Man, just lean into community as you uh, leave these doors today. Connect with someone. Come talk to a staff member if you need something, and we'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.